All right, let's read and then we'll pray. And then we'll finish up the Gospel of Luke today. Some good uh, uh, good sections here, uh, for obvious reasons. <laughs> but also some, some other things that are, are good. All right. Uh, Luke 24, beginning in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee? saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? (laughs) So, So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And How the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they didn't find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with him, with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. 
ought not the Messiah, the Christ, to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, further, nope, farther, <laughs> right the first time. <laughs> but they, they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. <laughs> and they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. (laughs) Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. There are so 
so very many things that shift and that change. But you stay the same. And because you are the same forever, we are able to find surety and anchor for our souls, comfort and hope in what you have said. Because you are the same yesterday, today, and you will be forever. Lord, would you be that for us? In a world um, that is very much like a tempestuous sea, Let us be those with sure footing, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the day is far spent, or the, the night is, is spent, or the, the day is at hand. Whatever that might look like for each of us, Lord. God, we need wisdom. Would you please give us wisdom as to how we ought to be navigating our lives and serving serving each other, serving our families, serving our cities and our community and, and serving our enemies, Lord. Until you come. <laughs> because that is our hope. It is sure, it is steadfast, just as sure as Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So too is the surety of our resurrection from the dead and of the final establishment of our kingdom, uh, of your kingdom, Lord, and of us with you. He must reign till every enemy has put under his foot, his foot and the, the last enemy is death. Lord, give us endurance. At times the days feel long. <laughs> At others, they seem so short. Oh, fill us with your spirit in a fresh way, I pray. Because only you can do that, God. I can't. None of us can do that for ourselves. Only you can. Would you do it this morning, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, you guys, back up with me to the beginning here of uh, our last little our last little trek here in Luke's Gospel. All right, now, on the, very, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, some people get very tied up with the days between Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. I used to fret over this a lot. I'm not bothered by it, not even in the slightest bit anymore. Uh, but I remember it being like a, a big deal and when I was a kid um, and uh, trying to figure out if he was crucified on Friday and... He's in the tomb on Saturday, and he rose on Sunday. How is that three days? How does that fulfill the three days and three nights? And, you know, like in the Jonah in the belly of the whale and all that stuff. Not 
bothered by it. Um, the statement seems to be, that particular statement seems to be a, just a, a, a phrase, a colloquialism, like we say, uh, you know, look at the sunrise. The sun doesn't actually rise, but we still say that because that's a common phrase that we use. So to the Jews, a, a day and a night is a, is a day, or a night and a day is a day. So, um, and any part of a day would be considered part of that day. I'm only bringing it up because those are things that I remember wrestling with when I was a teenager, and so I just want to at least um, broach that conversation. If you if you are interested in talking about it more, certainly reach out to me. Um, love to uh, talk about it more if you're concerned about those things. But seems to be ha- have been crucified on Friday. The next day is the Sabbath day. Some people try and. M- make sense of some of that by saying the crucifixion happened on Thursday and then there was a special Sabbath uh, for Passover on Friday and then there was the real Sabbath on Saturday, the normal Sabbath, and then and then Sunday was the day of resurrection. I think that's entirely unnecessary. Um, and also it, it makes an assumption that isn't actually written in the text. The text, if you just plainly read it, the simplest sort of Occam's razor way of viewing it is that there was one Sabbath day he was crucified and he was taken off the cross because at sundown the Sabbath began. And then there was Sabbath day. Everybody waited. And then they went early on uh, on Sunday, uh, early in the morning on Sunday, which very well, very likely was the, the what you and I would think of as the middle of the night. That would be early, early on uh, Sunday, seeing as how Sunday begins for you and I. Sunday begins at around six o'clock or sundown on Saturday <laughs> for our Saturday. That's when, that's when there, uh, when Sunday would have begun with uh, nightfall. So anyways, uh, I'm only bringing those up because I, I remember wrestling with that stuff and, and it being like a, a, a thing for me when I was younger, <laughs> it's, it's no longer, um, I'm, I'm not bothered or concerned by any of it. Um, not even a little bit now. It seems pretty clear, pretty straightforward. I think if we take things as simple as they are written, so <laughs> On the first day of the week, this is Sunday now, right? Shabbat is the, the Saturday is the, the seventh day of the week. Sunday now is the first day of the week. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them, if you look back in the previous chapter, you'll see who the, who the they are. There's a, a couple of the ladies who brought um, spices to anoint Jesus' body for burial. So they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. I suppose we could like stop right there. <laughs> like, Remember, uh, some of the other gospel writers tell us that they were concerned. They were like, how are we going to roll the stone away? You know, whatever. Um, but when they got there, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So his body wasn't there. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Again, if you read some of the other, um, I want to mention to you, if you read some of the other accounts of this from the other gospel writers, uh, you'll see some variations in the story that bring out interesting details, but all of them can be uh, can certainly be worked together into the uh, into the unified event. Um, written by various eyewitnesses, uh, which I think is one of the most wonderful things about having different accounts of this event. Um, so, or of these events, rather. So they were uh, greatly perplexed um, about this, that 
Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, I mean, what would you do? You're like a group of ladies. You go to anoint Jesus' body for burial after the Sabbath day, and now uh, the stone is already rolled away. You go in, there's no body there, and then suddenly there are these two young men there with shining clothes, which is like the way that angels are sometimes seen in several places. Um, in the story of Jesus in particular. Um, but you see that that happening, certainly you'd be a little, uh, n- not only confused, but uh, afraid, I imagine. And uh, they were, they were uh, perplexed. So they, um, they were afraid and they bowed their faces to the earth and said to them, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? I love that question so much. <laughs> because the angels are like, you thought he was still going to be here? <laughs> like what? He told you he would rise again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and the angels are, are so matter of fact about it. And I love that. They're just like, why are you, you're looking for a, a living person, but you're here where the dead people are. Like what, what's the deal with that? <laughs> um, I love that because the angels just know, they just, they know. Verse 6 says, he is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee? It's like they're saying, he told you guys this, which is a couple of things. This tells me that maybe these angels were present whenever Jesus was doing ministry in Galilee. Or, or at least he communicated that to them, right? Or some angel, somebody communicated that to them because they're sitting here talking to, to these ladies and they're like, hey, he told you this was going to happen. What do you, what? <clears throat> he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, here's what he said. The son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day rise again. There were at least three specific times where that actual pattern of phrasing is used. Three times. There very well may have been other times that Jesus told them about what was going to happen. But we know that there were at least three specific times when he used this very, very similar phrasing. The same phrase that is used here by the angels. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So they returned. They told it to everybody. Now Luke tells us, in particular, who was there. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Now, that wouldn't have been uncommon, most likely, right? I mean, some of the things that we have been able to learn about the the view and position of, uh, of women in uh, first century Palestine uh, was not Exactly, women were not held in in what you and I might think of as high esteem uh, at all. Um, there were some uh, of the teachers of the law who said it was it would be better for the words of the law to be burned than that they be delivered to a woman. So that's pretty high <laughs> esteem. <laughs> uh, uh, no, they they did not hold uh, women in very high esteem. Uh, not only in this culture, if anyone thinks that was somehow relegated to this particular culture, I challenge you to study many ancient cultures. Um, certainly there are some where we find uh, women having very high elevated um, uh, statuses. There are some, um, but it was certainly, it was by no means the most common thing or the norm in uh, most um, ancient societies. So 
Uh, and it was it was that same way in Israel. It's one of the things that's so wonderful about the story of Jesus is that he seems to particularly elevate the position and the honor given to to woman. Um, unfortunately, we're doing the best we can to tear that down again these days. So, um, in all sorts of various ways, but um, Jesus had these women become the first witnesses to the resurrection. Even though in a Jewish court of law, their testimony as witnesses was inadmissible, which is fascinating. (laughs) And even the disciples, when they heard this, the male disciples were like, eh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. They thought it was like idle tales. That's the phrase that's used there. Isn't that so sad? This is the resurrection story. This is, this is Jesus is, is alive from the dead, and the angels have told the ladies, and they're like, I don't know, ladies. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Seemed like they were just making up stories. You know, they were idle tales, empty tales, and they didn't believe them. <laughs> so verse twelve says, but Peter arose. And ran to the tomb and stooping down. And of course, in John's gospel, John reminds us that he was also with Peter (laughs) at this time and got there first. That's right. Love that part of the story. So uh, anyway, so Peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. So now everything's not fully revealed yet, but now Peter at least does this. He goes and he investigates the report that had been given, and he's at least marveling because at this point they know the women have said that he's not there. Peter's gone and seen that Jesus' body isn't there anymore. The linen claws are there, the claws that wrapped him up. Here's why I think in in one sense why that's significant. It means that somebody must have taken away, if they did steal him, they took away a naked body. Which maybe wouldn't have been like, I, I don't know. The, here's here's the the thing that I think is is uh, the other thing I think that goes with that is like seems like such an unnecessary step. If you're gonna go through the process of stealing his body, and you want to prove that um, that that something happened, like I just just take his body. You know what I mean? Just take it the way it is, or whatever. So. But they they, uh, found the linen cloths there lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Now, behold, two of them, two of the disciples, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. I want to. That's a an active type of phrase. Their eyes were restrained, right? It's or, or it's passive in the sense that it was something that happened to them, right? Their eyes were restrained. They didn't recognize him because they weren't allowed to recognize him yet. Does that? I mean, do you see that? Their eyes were restrained so that they didn't. Um, they didn't know him. They didn't recognize who it was. And he said to them, I love this because it's so like, I don't know, it's just fascinating to me. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And uh, have you not known 
Have you not known the things which happened there in these days? They're like, they're amazed that this traveler leaving Jerusalem at this time doesn't know about what had happened. Um, oh, I guess I skipped reading verse 17. So let me go back. It's, it is important. Read it. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So they don't recognize that it's Jesus. He then sort of overtakes them as they're walking, and he's walking together with them. And he, he asks them, he recognizes that they're sad. So he says, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Now they say, one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? <laughs> <laughs> I love that he's drawing this out of them, like he's getting them to talk. It's one of the things, um, just as sort of a side point, here's what I want to mention about it. Like, I think that God wants to have conversations with us. Do you realize that Jesus isn't asking any of these questions because he doesn't know the answers to them? He's developing a relationship with these people through this through this thing, through this conversation. And they're going to be blown away. They're going to be amazed by what happens. So um, he said to them, what things? So they said, it's like in the garden, right? When Adam and Eve are hiding and then they they come out or whatever. And he's like, what did you do? Or like, where are you, Adam? Like, it's not because God doesn't know that stuff. It's, it's, it's about a, a relational experience. It's about um, Adam having the opportunity, the privilege, if we could say it that way, of, of confession of bringing things into the light and, and of, of developing, cultivating that kind of relationship and then finding God's response is, while heartbroken, <laughs> that he makes a covering for them in the end and then establishes a system of sacrifice where they can still come back. While they don't get to go into the garden, they still get to come back to him and offer sacrifice there where they were kicked out of the garden. you know. Um, but in, anyhow, so it's it's that that sort of thing that, that seems to be happening. I want to frequently remind you of how good and how wonderful it is for, for you to know what it means to be in that kind of intimate relationship with the living God. Knowing that he really does care about you and that he wants you to talk to him. Because sometimes I think I can foolishly say, I mean, God, you already know everything. So I'm just not going to pray. <laughs> Right, and that's dumb. I, w- I wouldn't say that out loud, right? Um, but sometimes I do that in my practice, right? Uh, neglecting the reality that the Lord would have us to be uh, near to Him, and really, in the end, it's not even actually the answer, the thing that I'm usually praying about. It's not even that that I need. It really was the intimacy. It was really the relationship to God that I needed <laughs> more than the answer to whatever the thing is that I was so concerned about. That's Those are usually always side issues um, to the things that in the end really matter. So um, they said to him, the, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He said, what things? Why are you sad? What things are you talking about that happened in Jerusalem? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who is going to redeem Israel. I love that they're so like, this is what we had wanted. We thought he was going to be the one to redeem God's people, to redeem Israel, to purchase Israel back. 
he is. <laughs> but they, they, they didn't believe. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they didn't find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Uh, here's something else that I notice in this story. This part of the story of these uh, these two other disciples, Cleopas and the other disciple, that are leaving Jerusalem, going to um, uh, back to Emmaus, one of the things that I notice in their story is that it lines up exactly with every one of the accounts given by the other eyewitnesses, right? Like they're rehearsing the, the things that, that we have recorded for us in the other gospels, as well as what, what Luke is writing for us here as well, and provides another illustration of that, uh, of those things that happen. So, um, uh, so certain of those we read, verse 24, of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus responds. <laughs> then he said to them, and this is sort of where, I, where in my mind I've been camping the last week, right here and then later on in verse 46, these two phrases. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Much of what I see on the internet when I come across people that are criticizing the scriptures or talking about how you shouldn't believe this or you shouldn't do that on all the different social media sites or even or wherever, wherever you find that stuff, much of it is so easily rooted in this reality. It's just it's just because of unbelief that you make up versions of things to try to disprove. It is just in the, at the very bottom of it, it's rooted in the reality that, that somebody is saying, I just don't want to believe this. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. All that the prophets have spoken. That's where the thing is, right? To believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Messiah to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Shouldn't he have done that? This is what the prophets foretold. Shouldn't it have happened? Okay, here's what I want you to see. Jesus takes it for granted that if the prophets said it, it's going to happen. Do you realize that? He, that's just, it's a given. If God's prophets said it, it will happen. Unfortunately, too often we don't view the scriptures, the writings of the prophets, with that same kind of authority. <laughs> but Jesus did. So when I come across people who are criticizing particular things about the scriptures or about the, the text itself, um, often, often the, um, in the end it, it just comes down to this reality that you just, you just don't believe it. Jesus took it for granted that if, if it was in the writings, that it must happen. And I want to make it clear to you that it is the writings, because Luke's going to make it clear too in just a minute. Here. We have this phrase used repeatedly in the New Testament, the scriptures, which is just a, 
uh, it's a very generic phrase that means the writings. But every time it's used, it's to refer back to the writings of the prophets. Okay? And then we also find it used uh, about some of the New Testament writings as well. Uh, Peter, we find Peter talking about some of Paul's writings in a very interesting way as well in the New Testament. So, um, Anyways, ought not the Messiah to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Verse 27 says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What have the prophets said? Read the writings. Jesus expounded to them all the things where? In what? In the writings. In the scriptures. I know I'm laboring this, but I'm laboring it because I... I don't read my Bible enough, and neither do you. That's why I'm laboring it. <laughs> and when I say enough, I, I don't mean to suggest that there's some like um, standard that I could give you. All I mean to say is this. I think I could always read a little more. Hear a little more. Whoa, do we have to read? Well, I mean, not necessarily. Get you an audio version and listen if you want to listen. <laughs> but spend time meditating on what has been written, on the writings. That's the scriptures. That phrase, the scriptures, literally is the writings. Okay? <clears throat> also, what kind of Bible study would that have been? Where Jesus is going through the prophets, expounding all the things about him <laughs> in the writings. Then verse 28 says, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. This is an interesting little tidbit. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Hey, do you think sometimes that your prayers aren't helpful or that... The Lord doesn't respond to them. I think this is fabulous. It says that Jesus indicated that he would have kept on going when they got to where they were going to camp. It's like Jesus like, all right, bye guys. And they're like, no, 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 stay. Stay here with me. Stay here with us over the night. And you know what Jesus did? He responded to that. That is precious. Pray. Ask. Ask him. I don't know what he will do. You don't either. So ask. They constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. This whole sequence is just fascinating. He took bread, he blessed and broke it, which is, by the way, that same phrase is the same phraseology used in the institution of the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, communion. And Jesus said, I won't do this again until I do it with you in the kingdom. I think that's interesting. And now he sits down with these disciples, he takes the bread and he breaks it. 
can spirits take bread and break it? <laughs> right? Because <laughs> there's this real question. And there was eventually this real question of whether or not Jesus' resurrection was his, his actual body or whether it was simply a spiritual type of event. Uh, there are some who have tried to say that, even from ancient times. Um, but um, the records uh, of the, the writings of the scriptures, the writings of, of the New Testament, uh, reveal to us very clearly that, that Jesus' resurrection was in his body. We call that a bodily resurrection. It was in a physical body that was able to be touched and able to touch other things, able to eat, able to do other things like that. And he's going to make that point very clearly. Because when the New Testament talks about our resurrection bodies, this becomes important. Our resurrection bodies are real, actual things. Formed from what you and I bury in the ground, that is like a seed but you don't plant the thing that actually grows. You, you plant the seed of that thing, and then and then what's supposed to grow from it grows. Okay, and that's the illustration that Paul uses uh, for you and I to help us understand what uh, what is to be true about our own resurrection from the dead. Okay, because it's rooted in, revealed by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. That's why he's called, and why his resurrection happens on the feast of first fruits, because he's the first fruits of those risen from the dead, which means he's the first, and then there are more to come later. First fruits was the time when you offered the first part of the harvest before the rest of the harvest came later. That's what the celebration of first fruits was about, and why it's linked to Passover and the feast of unleavened bread, and why it happens here, because Jesus is the first of those who are part of the final resurrection. Okay? <clears throat> and all those who travel with him, he raises from the dead. He took the bread, he blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them. Their eyes were open, and they knew him. They, 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 he took the bread and blessed it and broke it, and then they're like, oh. <laughs> Can you imagine that revelation? They're like, oh, it's Jesus. And then what happens? He vanishes. I think the, the wording is clear. He didn't get up and walk away. He just disappeared. Now, our f physicists will have some um, interesting discoveries, I think, <laughs> in the age of the kingdom, <laughs> if we can say it that way. <laughs> uh, we do know that if uh, we consider the actual amount of space uh, in all of the particulate matter, and elements that make up our bodies, it is exhaustive. It is remarkable. So I'm not really bothered by this, um, uh, even in a uh, dealing with the question of matter and how that works. It's not bothersome to me, uh, not even a little bit. <clears throat> he vanished from their sight. <laughs> And they, verse 32, they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures, the writings to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, here's what they said now, verse 34, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. They, or they, they found them gathered together and they were saying that the Lord had appeared to Simon. The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they, they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. I think it's interesting that they make the point of saying, that Luke makes the point of, of them saying that Jesus was known to them in the breaking of bread. 
because that's such a significant thing. Jesus had just had that dinner with him where he broke the bread, right? And it was such an important point uh, that was made there. So um, this is another section of that, uh, sort of that revealing of Jesus' resurrection. He's been revealed to Simon now. He's been revealed to the uh, two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Um, and now they're bringing back word to the larger group, to the broader uh, group there as well. I do want to caution you. There is this idea that the um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is not a Christian church, um, it is uh, the Mormon church as we commonly know it, right? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. One of the th- ways that they try to get people, and really it's an, it's an, an emotional ma- manipulation, uh, it is... Um, not rooted in logic. It is rooted in emotional appeal. When they say, consider the things, they'll, they'll tell you some theology of uh, Mormon ideas, and then they'll say, um, ask God to give you the burning in the heart, right? And, and it's rooted in this text here. And they'll say, if you feel the burning in your heart, then you'll know that the things we've shared with you are true. And many people have been hooked by that line and brought into, uh, into that, uh, that cult group, um, as we know it, who deny uh, the reality of uh, the Trinity and who deny, um, therefore, uh, the actual um, godness, godliness of Jesus in that sense and his unity uh, with the Father and of the and unity with the Spirit, um, and therefore a denial of truth, among other things. I, I don't. I'm not interested in, in belaboring uh, the false theologies of Mormonism right now. If you're interested, I can certainly provide you some references if you're uh, challenged by those things, interested in learning more about them so that you can respond. Um, I can certainly set you up with some resources to do further study. But um, my goal here is to look at what our text actually says. <laughs> and while this burning in the heart is true for them, there is no place anywhere ever at any time in the scriptures where this is ever appealed to, where it's ever said that you should look for this or try to get this or any of that, this seems to be, I hate to demystify it, it seems to be them just saying, man, it felt nice. <laughs> like when he was speaking to us, it was like amazing. <laughs> when he was revealing to us the things written about him in the prophets, it was good. It didn't let our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us, because they were so surprised. They didn't realize it was him. And then when he breaks the bread, they're like, oh. <laughs> and then at that point, if it was me, I'd be like questioning everything I said up to that point. Did I say something wrong up to that point? Because <laughs> I didn't know it was him. And then like, now it's him. Like, was I criticizing people? Was I talking bad about somebody? Was I gossiping? You know, like. So they said, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. They told him as we read, they told about all the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Verse um, 36. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. (laughs) So when they were on the road, Jesus breaks the bread and just disappears. Now they're back in Jerusalem with the other disciples and they're like, hey, this happened to us. And he just vanished into thin air. And now while they're standing there telling the story, what happens? He appears out of thin air right there with them. He just shows up. As they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. 
but they were terrified and frightened, as you might imagine. This is one of the reasons why I know the other gospel writers make this clear as well, but um, another one of the reasons why I know that this is, this is an appearance, this is a sudden appearance, is that they were terrified. Terrified and frightened. And suppose they had seen a spirit. That's not something you say when you see a person walk up to you. Even if it's Jesus, right? They're like, we thought we, we saw a spirit because he just appeared. Now, verse 38, he said to them, why are you, uh, why are you troubled? <laughs> like, well, Lord, you just appeared out of nowhere right in front of us. And we saw you die. Also, there's that. So I'm I'm a smart aleck. My responses are very smart alecky sometimes. <laughs> I I hope I, I I trust the Lord bears with me in that <laughs> and has mercy on me. Um, why are you troubled? Why do you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Oh, by the way, this is Jesus saying, "Look, I have the the scars, right? The print of the nail in his hands, the print of the nail in his feet." the hole in in his side where the spear went through his side. Jesus' resurrection body was his body. It had been changed, yes, but it was his body. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. He's making it so clear, right? And Luke's recording this for us so that we know very clearly that this is not a spirit. This is not some apparition that they're seeing. This is an actual human body that they were able to touch. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? I love this. They're like amazed and they're marveling and they're having a hard time wrapping their heads around this as one might imagine, right? This is one of the things I love about these stories. It's not like, the, it's not like even in the stories, it, it seems like if, if somebody wanted to make up these stories about Jesus and about his resurrection and stuff, it seems to me that you would give the heroes, at least the natural heroes of your stories, they would be the ones that didn't struggle with it. They'd be the ones that, yes, they believed and yes, they knew, right? But the fact that everybody has trouble believing it becomes for me more evidence that there's reality to what's being said here because this makes so much sense. Yes, they would have had a hard time believing this. He's right in front of them, but it's still, we saw him die, they might say to themselves. We, we knew where his body was buried. As they're marveling about all of this, Jesus apparently has a rumbly in his tumbly. <laughs> it's an old, old one, right? <laughs> Throw some, some Winnie the Pooh at you. <laughs> <laughs> they're amazed at Jesus' resurrection. He's like, hey, hey, guys, I'm hungry. And of course, because it's a rumbly and the tumbly, they give him, as you might imagine, they give him a piece of broiled fish and some what now? Some honeycomb. Mm-hmm. 
Winnie the Pooh's not not off. I'm getting his honey. I gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Hey, stop right there. If our resurrection bodies are like his, and that is the promise given to us, we will get to still enjoy, enjoy food in the kingdom. What's that even like? What does that even mean? What does that look like? They gave him a piece of bread, a broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Do you see how Jesus puts all three of those together? Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. All things must be fulfilled that are written. Do you get this? I don't care what somebody comes along nowadays and says, well, we can't trust this, or well, we think this this was written by eight different people and not just by Moses, or we think this other thing. Listen, I don't care what any of those people say, and you know why? Because Jesus didn't believe that. And so I would just look at the text and say, I'm going to believe what Jesus believed because of who he is. Verse 45 says, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures, which is, by the way, the same thing that has to happen now, <laughs> right? It is God who opens our eyes to understand the things that are written. And as I'm talking about people criticizing the text and doing those other things, as I see that stuff, I realize that as well, that it's God who has to open the eyes. And so I see people trying to make arguments to disprove things, and I'm like, that is so foolish and completely unnecessary, guys, for you to even think like that. But then I, then I realize, oh, you can't see it yet. And I have found myself at times praying for those as I've seen some of those videos and some of those commentaries and other things saying, Lord, would you just, is there a way that you could open this person's eyes? They would be able to see what they can't see now in your word. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary. That, that's like it. Thus it was written, thus it was necessary. I know that this idea is highly criticized in some circles these days, but again, I don't care. This is Jesus. Jesus says, if the prophets wrote it, it's going to happen. It is necessary. Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary, particularly for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and Remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Paul brings up this point in, when he writes to the church at Rome, when he says the gospel, the good news of Jesus in, in the revelation of, of God's righteousness in the gospel is to the Jew first and then to the Greek. It still is, always has been. God made very particular promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he keeps those. The good news of Jesus is to the Jew first and then to all nations, to the Greek, to the, to the Gentiles. And, and those who believe are grafted into this great uh, position of God's blessing and of God's kingdom. Repentance and remission of sins. Can't pass that up. The change of mind. Repentance. Metanoia is the Greek word. Verse 
Jesus isn't telling us that um, if we just go to church, we'll have our best life now. He's telling us to change our minds. Our lives become conformed to his truth, not the other way around. He does not conform to ours. But the world would squeeze you into its mold, as one of the translations of Romans 12 says, <laughs> right? Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. It's an interesting um, translation, but I, I think it's appropriate for that text. Don't be conformed to the world, Romans 12.2 says. <clears throat> that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations. This is still the way it is, guys. This is still what we're doing. In one way or another. And, and for many of us, one of the primary places that is to happen is in our homes. Our spouses and our children. And yes, we have opportunities other places and other times as well. We mustn't neglect that. <clears throat> we ought to use those opportunities and go out and, I dare say, make some of those opportunities <laughs> and pray for wisdom and how we can do that. Verse 48 says, And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. This is an idea that Luke now picks up in the book of Acts. This is how he begins the beginning of the book of Acts, is with the fulfillment of that promise. I send the promise of my Father upon you. Jesus told them that even though he was going to ascend, that he wouldn't leave them as orphans, that he would come to them. He said, I will send you another helper like me, comparable to me, who will be with you. And then he finalized this section, if we can say it again, if I can say it that way, um, in the other Gospels, we see him saying, Lo, I am with you even to the end of the age, because he sends his spirit to be with them. You're not alone. You are not alone, dear Christian. The Lord is with you. And he will not leave you. You are his. And in some incredibly wonderful way, he is yours. For he has given himself for us and to us. We are witnesses. <laughs> the word witness is the word for martyr. They were witnesses of these things. Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. And they went around, when we get to the book of Acts, we'll see that in, very, in a lot of detail. They went around telling people about this King Jesus raised from the dead. And um, many of them lost their lives for it. Not all of them, uh, but many did. But they didn't really lose their life. Remember Jesus said, if you lose your life for my sake, you what? You find it. But if you seek to find your life, you'll lose it. That is, if you seek to find it apart from him, <laughs> you'll lose it. He 
He led them out as far as Bethany. It's on the other side of the Mount of Olives, outside the city of Jerusalem. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Again, Luke picks up this in the beginning of of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1. He was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they're amazed by that as well. So Jesus is blessing them. And then as he's doing that, he then ascends up into the, into, into the clouds, into space. That's what heavens are. He ascends. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Because he told them to wait in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. That's that last little section there. Um, I wanted to read, I'm, I'm going to give it to you as your homework assignment this week. Uh, read through 1 Corinthians 15 for me, please. Um, so it's a long chapter. If you want to break it up into sections, read a little section of it every day, that's fine. Um, but I want you to camp there in particular. Paul lays out both the gospel at the very beginning of it, and then he goes on from that to talk about the promise of the resurrection and what that looks like. In, in a lot of detail. And so I commend that to you. That's your assignment this week. Uh, I expect 200 words next week. Um, <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. Um, <laughs> um, uh, that's Luke, guys. Uh, collected together. Luke traveled with the Apostle Paul. He was familiar with, he was a doctor who was familiar with many of the apostles and others. He purposefully gathered eyewitness accounts in order to compile, in order to put together the things that he wrote. Uh, And that's the first part of what he wrote for us that is uh, collected, that we have passed to us through history. The second part is the book of Acts. We'll get there shortly. Um, uh, Next week, we'll we'll go ahead and start John next week because it'll only take us uh, about, um, should only take us about five months or so to make it through John's gospel. Um, There are a few sections in Acts when we get to Acts that we should be able to go through a couple chapters at a time. There's a couple of very fast-paced sections, so we should be able to go through a couple of those a little bit faster as we get to Acts. But um, I, I just, guys, we've gone through, if you've been with us now for a couple of years, we've gone through three the, the synoptic Gospels, the Gospels that are the most similar, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, when we get to John, um, we'll realize how very different John's writing was. Um, John brings out many things that were not brought out by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So uh, I think that's helpful and important for us uh, in our um, traveling together with Jesus. So um, if there are... Any questions? Um, Well, guys, the Lord bless you and keep you, protect you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious with you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his smile on you and give you peace, you guys. Love you very much. Thank you for your kindness to me. Guys are dismissed or not, or just hang out and pray and... (laughs) Be friends. Just be friends. <laughs> Hard to do. <laughs> right. <laughs>